0: Thanks for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. In 2022, the self-help industry generated over $13 billion. It seems like we are very interested in how to change. This past Sunday at Storyline's gathering, we explored the unique way Jesus invites us to grow, change, and flourish. The band performed songs by Tom Petty, Genesis, Neil Young, and Pearl Jam. Let's have a listen.
1: Passing sleeping cities Fading by degrees Not believing all I see to be so I'm flying over backyards Country homes and ranches Watching life between the branches below And it's hard to say You are these days, but you run on anyway, don't you believe? you are keep running for another place to find that saving grace. I'm moving. Statues that atone for my sins There's a card on every door And a drink on every floor Overflowing with a thousand demons. And it's hard to say Who you are these days What you run on anyway Don't you breathe Keep running for another place To find that state of grace Don't you, baby?
0: I'm so delighted to be here, and I, I am, a, I'm excited about help, having you help me with a song. I understand from Mike that it's a little. He says, "You're gonna do that? Yeah, I am." <laughs> I want to hear you guys try this with just with me here for a second. They're gonna wait. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Can you describe? do this yeah. That's it. One more time with feeling. Okay, stop. Jump on in on that thing. Wiggle your bum in your seat a little bit. And We're going to play a song now. I say I love you need I say I care? need I say that emotions are something we all share I don't want to be sitting here trying to deceive you when you know I know baby that I don't wanna go we cannot live together we cannot live apart it's nice From the start, every time that I look at you, I can see the future, but you know, I know, baby, that I don't want to go. mine. I watch the world go round and round. See mine spinning upside down. up the darkness Who will hold your hand Who will find you the answers when you don't understand Why should I have to be the one who needs to convince you when you know I know baby that I don't want to go Someday you'll be sorry Someday when you're free Memories will remind you our love was meant to be, and late at night when you call my name, the only sound you'll hear is the sound of your voice calling, calling out to me, throwing it all away, throwing it all away. Is there nothing i
2: was making bike ramps out in the street, because that's where all the cars are. You put a cement block out in the middle of the road, you angle a piece of wood up to it, and the object was for one kid to get on his bike, ride as fast as he could, and see how high he could go. And that's as far as we planned. It wasn't until the first kid was like flipping in the air, what happens now? We don't know! (laughs) He'd hit a mailbox. We had a bunch of nine-year-old paramedics running up. We didn't know what to do. we get up there, oh, oh, get some leaves. You do what you can. Hey, that was the easy part. The hard part was being the kid that got sent in first to calm mom down before you dragged in the actual banged-up brother. You'd have to be the point man, you know? Go tell mom, oh, oh, no, no. It's your turn. Oh, so you'd have to run in, hey, hey, mom. Oh. Okay. Uh, uh, everything's fine. You know, she bought that. Yeah. Everything's fine. I just want to run in at full speed and uh, you know, say hi and uh, and uh, okay. So, oh, you know, Kevin. Oh, okay, of course. Okay. Well, you know how like his right arm usually usually it bends. Usually it, it would bend like that. Okay, it's not fanning like that right now. And it's no big deal, because we already looked at it, but we were thinking, since you said that you had to go get milk later, anyway, so we were thinking, since you have to go anyway, anyway, then we were all thinking, if when you go, if you just might want to take him to the hospital. And, and if you get peanut butter, get smooth.
3: Oh, good
4: morning. Good morning, Storyline. Good morning. It's so good to be together. How about that band, huh? Wow. So fun. It's really a special morning for me. Dewey was my old Young Life leader, and Rob was my old Young Life kid, and I'm just old. And uh, actually, the last few months, for sure, I've been kind of resonating with this video. You know, like, my body just is not working the way it used to in so many ways. I'm in an old man basketball league. And uh, the person that asked me said, hey, you're old, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, yes, I am. Thank you. And, um, And so I'm in this old man basketball league, and you know it's bad when you're the oldest person on the old man basketball team. And that's me. That's old. So yesterday I was playing in our league and I got hurt, of course. Now I need to describe how this happened. Here's, here's the mistake I made. Okay. So you get out there and you kind of get into the game and there's all this. I haven't worn a uniform and like with referees and a number on my back and a long time, and so, you know, you just kind of get into it, and my teammate, Fred, threw me a pass, and I just wasn't thinking when I tried to do this, because I'm going to demonstrate what happened. This is what, he's over here, and he threw me a pass, and I was dumb enough to do this, and I got hurt right there, just turning, just turning to catch the ball, like pulled a muscle. I was like, oh, they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know everything. And actually yesterday, two different times, I looked at teammates, I go, are you okay? And they both said, no, no, I'm not okay. So it is a, it's a hot mess out there in the old man basketball league. But I've been playing for years, really never stopped playing, um, coming out of high school. And about eight years ago, when I wasn't this old, a good friend of mine said to me, Mike, like, You're kind of getting up there. Like, I'm surprised you don't get injured more often. And I I thought, oh, why did you say that? And sure enough, the next week, third degree sprain of the ankle. Like, it was just awful. Thank you, Tom Austin. Stay away from him. Anyway, um, if you've ever sprained your ankle, then you know that for the first 30 seconds, a mild sprained ankle and a shattered ankle feel exactly the same. okay? And so I knew that and I knew that I didn't know if I was going to be all right in a minute or if I was going to need surgery. So I hit the floor and I tried with all of my might not to roll around and scream and yell. And I'm proud to say that I didn't roll around. Um, but there was some screaming and yelling, and um, I I worked really hard to rehab the injury. I went to the doctor. I got a new brace and all this kind of stuff. Two months later, I'm playing basketball again, and then after one week of playing basketball, I turned that same ankle, and I cannot begin to describe how bad it hurt! The pain was worse, like way, way worse than the first time. And this time, I was determined not to scream and yell. So I just laid on the ground, wounded, in silent agony. And the other guys gathered around because anytime someone my age gets hurt, it's a possible 911 call. And so, I, when I finally opened my eyes, there's you know nine other guys like surrounding me. And my friend Mike, he leaned over, he put his hand down like this, put his hand on my chest, and he quietly said, "Gaff." You have to breathe. Now, honestly, I was in so much pain. I was in so much pain. I was so focused on the pain that I had no idea I wasn't breathing. And then he said it again, breathe. And so I did, and something amazing happened. When my focus like, went off of my pain and onto just the rhythm of breathing, things began to change. And we're in this series that we're calling Grace Changes Everything. And we've been looking at trusting in the grace of God, in God's love, acceptance, forgiveness, and affection, and how that trust in God's grace begins to change everything in our life from our identity, like who we believe we are, to our relationships from what faith is to even last week we looked at humility and even how that changes, change itself. And this morning I'd like to invite us to continue to kind of wonder in that same direction by asking this question. How does grace change us? I think by far the most common question that I get that I've gotten from folks over the last almost 20 years of being in this role at Storyline is why can't I change? Like, I wanted to change so bad, this or that about me or my life, and it just, it never happens. So if you're you're frustrated by that, I promise you, you're not alone. I'm right there with you. When we get stuck in patterns that we know aren't working, it it feels like we're just throwing it all away. Like, life is just, like, this big, hot mess. And, And we know it isn't... Life isn't living and feeling like it should. And in times like that, we are looking for any kind of saving grace, any kind of quick fix, any pill or potion or workout or diet or scheme that can help us right now. In 2022 alone, the the self-help industry generated $13 billion with a B all around, how can I change? So that, that question is clearly a hot topic for Americans. And Jesus said that he came not to condemn us, but to save us, to offer us what he called the abundant life. It is, so I think it's natural for us to think that, you know, that he thought that he, the way he was going to do that is through teaching us something. Or doing something for us, but this morning, we're going to see that when it comes to how grace changes us, it's also important to look at how Jesus lived, how he lived, like the rhythm of his life. So right at the very beginning of the Bible, we find that when God created human beings, we are the only creatures into which he breathes. This is what the Bible says. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now, the Old Testament of the Bible was written by the ancient Jewish people. It was written in their language, a uh, Hebrew language. And the word here, ruach, is the Hebrew word that it, it just means spirit or the spirit of God or the breath of of God. We get our word for breathing from the word spirit. That's where the word respirate comes from. There's something fundamental about breathing, not just for life biologically, but for life spiritually. Last Sunday we said that life is defined as the capacity to change, the capacity to change and the ability to grow. We know we want this we we need this and if god is offering the breath of life if jesus is offering the abundant life that invitation must also be like embedded in how jesus chose to live and that's not normally something that we actually look at we'll, we'll look at what he said we'll look at like what he taught We'll look at maybe his acts and maybe what they're supposed to accomplish. But I don't think very often we stand one step further back and ask, how did he choose to live? And it's clear that Jesus had a rhythm to his life, almost like breathing. Like he lived that way on purpose. And there's a short passage from the book of Luke that we're going to look at here. And I think it's one example of many of where Jesus repeats purposely this rhythm in his life. This is what the Bible says. It was in those days that he went up the hillside to pray and spent the whole night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned the disciples to him, and out of them he chose 12 whom he called apostles. And then he came down with them and stood on a level piece of, level piece of ground, surrounded by a large crowd who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. You know, after the gathering last week where I, we talked about humility some, so much, someone came up to me and said, I get it, Mike, like, focus on my humility. And I suggested, well, kinda. Like, maybe Jesus doesn't want us to focus on our anything. Remember that line from C.S. Lewis humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's just thinking of ourselves less. So to focus on our flaws, even on our humility, really what that does is it can leave us self-involved. It implies that all that's wrong with life would be fixed if I, by my own power, could just get my act together. And I think what we're seeing in the life of Jesus is that there's just there's no rhythm to that way of life. We are left to our own devices. And really, it's just kind of a sneaky way of making life and my life really all about me. So this focus on ourselves, on what we want, on what we need, it's kind of like really holding our breath until we get what we want. And it does not lead, ironically, to our growth, our maturity, or real lasting change, even when it's about what we want to get out of church.
3: Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery, who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance.
4: Oh, there's a huge part of me that wished that wasn't a spoof, let me tell you, right? Sounds good. But lots of us, I think, really well-intentioned people, we focus on ourselves in an effort to change and grow, but when we do this, that doesn't, it just doesn't seem to work. We're missing what the Bible is going to refer to as the rhythm of grace, the rhythm of the life of God. So what if we shifted our focus from ourselves and our pain to our breathing? to, to this rhythm of life that we see in the life of Jesus. And for Jesus, this all begins with, and we see it in this passage that we looked at, communion with God. This is how his rhythm begins. He went up to a hillside to pray. Now, maybe we can think of this as like inhale. Like we're inhaling, we commune with God, we inhale God's presence. Now... Here's the thing, what that looks like for you and what that looks like for me can be very different things. In fact, when I think about how people are living out their faith so very differently nowadays and how many people are actually leaving like conventional, church, con- conventional churches, it's easy when you look into the future to start to go that maybe we, we have defined what communing with God looks like too tightly. And there have been different eras in the history of the church where this has happened. And then there are people and movements that come along and said, maybe it doesn't have to look like this. Maybe it can look like this. And I really do believe that that's, one, that's the, an era that we're living through right now. So for example, if you resonate with storyline, for instance, you might have struggled with more conventional ways of communion with God. Now, I'm not suggesting there's anything at all wrong with candles and choirs and creeds or stained glass and robes and rituals. And I'm certainly not suggesting that what we do here is any better. But I am saying that the ways that people have connected with God change. And it changes from culture to culture from era to era, and certainly from person to person. you can Think about it like this. Everything that conventional churches um, call a tradition, like we've always done it this way, was at one time an innovation. Like somebody invented that. Someone came up with that as a way to commune with God. And a lot of people resonated with it for a long enough time, and it becomes a tradition, and that's great. That's where traditions come from. That's why they work. Our approach at Storyline, our tradition, if you will, is when we're together, it's been to leverage different aspects of our culture, of the culture that we're all immersed in from art and music or YouTube videos or movie clips, uh, comedians, and hold them up next to Jesus in his gospel of grace to see... If we can see or find or experience God, if we can inhale God's presence in the things that we already love, I think what, what we're suggesting is that if you love something about it, if you find something in it that you resonate with deeply, then God's there. God is meeting you there. And and this is carried over, I think, into how storyliners meet outside of this setting. From discussion groups and spiritual formation groups and Bible studies, which look maybe more traditional and conventional, but we also have hiking groups and people who get together to bike or to play basketball. Storylines approach toward inhaling God's presence, towards beginning this. This rhythm of grace in our life, our approach has been let's try it. Let's see if it works. Let's see if it resonates. If it does with enough people, it can become our tradition. And it might just be ours. No one else might do it. And that's also fine. Several years ago, there was a lady, she was probably in her mid to late 60s, and she came to faith in our community and she was baptized. And I'll never forget this. It was one of the most beautiful moments for me in the history of Storyline. She came up out of the water, gave me this huge hug, and she turned to everybody there and she goes, Storyline has made God inescapable for me. I hear him on the radio. I see him on TV. When I drive, when I walk, he's even in commercials, If you've seen one of our commercial Sundays, I mean, it's like, and everyone laughed and cried. It was just beautiful. But given permission to look for God, to find God, to enjoy God, to inhale God's presence in her real everyday life, suddenly she found herself surrounded by the goodness of God. Communion with God became a constant in her life. A Tom Petty song or a Genesis song became a worship song for her. I think that's a beautiful thing. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? Where does your heart beat the fastest, is the way one of my favorite writers, Frederick Buechner, puts it. Where does your heart beat the fastest? What are you doing? Who are you with when the beauty and the gift of life, the goodness of life just comes crashing in on you? Could it be that is your love language? That that's how and where you meet God. Now, it might be that conventional approaches say, that's not good enough, or you can't do it that way. And I think what as a community we're doing is we're going, we're done apologizing for being weird. We don't have to fit in to the way it's been done. And the tradition of the Christian faith has been the inventing of new traditions, And I think we live in an era like that. And I hope that this community is one where we all feel permission to seek that out for ourselves. One author said it so beautifully. He put it like this We're all born looking for someone who is looking for us. I love that. Where do you feel found? Where do you feel found? What Jesus is showing us us here is make that a rhythm. Do that. Go there regularly, intentionally, commune with God. Inhale his presence. That is how, that's the rhythm of grace. So this is, it's not yet a, a complete rhythm though, okay? If this is all we do, it would be like, holding her breath, right? And for far too many religious people, we're tempted to kind of stop there, like believe that life is all about communing with God. And the the beautiful thing about Jesus is that according to him, it isn't. It isn't. Notice the rhythm of Jesus. After communion with God, he comes down from the mountaintop to the level places, to like where real people are to give and serve and heal and love He moves from communion with God, like inhaling God's presence, to the the mission of God, the commission of God, exhaling God's purpose. Now, again, what that looks like for you, I can't tell you. I think one of the mistakes that contemporary Christianity may be making is we're trying to make everybody fit into This is what it looks like to commune with God. This is what it looks like to be on a mission with God, to exhale God's purpose. And I think that we're living in a time that's changing so fast that we have to be more open, like Martin Luther was, like John Calvin was, like John Wesley was like the early church fathers were when it went from the ancient early church to, okay, now it's the official religion of the Roman Empire. We've seen times like this in history before where there are massive changes in what it looks like to commune with God and to be on a mission with God. So what does that look like for you? I can tell you a little bit about what the commission of God, exhaling God's purpose, looks like for us storyline as a community together not long ago my dear friend and longtime storyliner john williams passed away now some of us i think you'll remember john I, i can't see any of you from up here but i could always just make out john's white hair and white beard he sat right there for years and we could all hear him laugh he was, all, he, was such, he was so generous with me because he laughed even at the really bad jokes, which is most of them. And I learned so much about life and love and God and more than I wanted to know about the Cubs from John. <laughs> and he loved this community. He was baptized at the age of 70, 70 years old. And one story Sunday, he shared a poem with all of us. He came right up here and he shared a poem with us because it meant so much to him. And it was written by one of the originators, one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. When John passed away, he had been part of Alcoholics Anonymous and sober for 46 years. And he shared with us that morning that this poem describes what he found in storyline when God let him hear. He thought this was our mission this is what the poem says. We stand by the door. Neither, we neither go in too far nor, nor stay out too far. The door is the most important door in the world. It's the door through which people walk to find God. There's no use for us going way inside or staying there when so many people are still outside, and they, as much as we, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind people with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So we stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any person can do is to take and hold one of those blind groping hands. And to put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to that person's own touch. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So we stand by the door. Sometimes we take a deeper look in. Sometimes we venture in a little farther. But our place seems to be closer to the opening. So we stand by the door. Somebody must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out when they just came in, to tell them how much better it is inside. We admire the people who go way in, but we wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay too long and forget the people outside the door. As for us, we shall take our old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him and know he's there, but not so far from people as to not hear them and remember that they are there too. So we stand by the door. I just love that. John believed that that described our mission together, and I actually think it sums it up pretty well. And what he shared that day inspired something that, you know, we wonder about often together. Maybe the best church for us is a church that isn't for us, a church that's just positioned right at the door. Could it be that the abundant life, the path to change, is a rhythm like breathing, communion, inhaling God's presence, commission, exhaling God's purpose? It's telling to me that this rhythm is absent basically in all corners of contemporary life. For non-religious people, there's almost no introspection, almost zero attention paid to the interior life when we look at how the world is inviting us to live. TV shows, commercials, everything they're trying to sell us. Absent a spiritual angle on life, everything devolves like into glitz and spin and likes and clicks It's surface, it's veneer all the time. Life is reduced to like the immediate and the urgent. What needs to get done today to our own personal comfort and wants and desires. And and we're now seeing what this lack of a rhythm does to us. And consider this, we live by every measure, by every measure, we live in the best society in human history So there's a very famous book about this, Harvard professor Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now. Details for hundreds of pages, something that's shocking about the time that we live in. And to simplify it, it's basically this, that lifespan, health, literacy, safety, peace, freedom, and wealth, as well as the eight other measures of of human wellness and flourishing are all not only on the rise but at their highest point in human history. Now the pandemic uh, interrupted some of those, and, and maybe long-term, but up until the pandemic, that was, that was true. Not just here, but throughout most of the world. You get the point. The, and I know it's really hard to believe because we turn on the news, we see war in Europe, we see war in the Middle East, and we think this has got to be the worst time ever. It's gotta be the most violent time ever, but it isn't, it's not even close. In the 20th century, 50% of all death was brought on by someone else. People died through violence or malevolence, 50% of all death for 100 years. So if you wonder like, when and where is the best time to live, there's only one answer to that question, and it's right here and right now. And yet, when you dig down a little bit deeper, it's in the richest and safest and most educated society in human history resides the most depressed and anxious, isolated, and medicated people in human history, right? And I could give you the stats. We've done it before on depression, anxiety, loneliness, the suicide rates, especially for our young people, but we've all seen them. And the point is the abundant life, obviously. It can't be found by simply focusing on ourselves and existing in a perfect, comfortable context. What we really want, what we really need, we're looking for something deeper, for something more. So, so good. Oh, my goodness. love that harmonica. Man. So, clearly, the abundant life doesn't magically emerge from a comfortable context. There's never been a better context. We live in the best time and place ever. That doesn't mean it's problem-free by any stretch. But relative to every other time and place, it's amazing. It's a bubble of bliss that we live in. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what this boils down to is that we somehow live in the best of times and yet the worst of times. Why? Because I would argue that we have no like, way to properly access and prioritize and enjoy the incredible blessings of our time. We, have, we often worship that which should be what, which we should be willing to sacrifice if need be. And when we do that, things get all discombobulated and there's no rhythm to life. Could it be that not having this rhythm to life is, is what the world is kind of destroying for us? There's no communion with God's presence. There's no commission of God's purpose. And this is the beauty and the brilliance of the change that Jesus is offering through the rhythm of grace. When we trust in God's grace, we inhale God's presence, we exhale God's purpose, and it's like a breath of fresh air. Everything begins to change. I, I asked our good friend Jill McNabney, who speaks often here at Storyline, about the science of respiration. And she went on for a while, and I was really bummed that I asked her this question. But... Um, I don't, <laughs> I teach PE, let's just be honest, okay? So I don't totally get it, but for, the, for you nerds out there, okay, uh, you might like this. So this is what she said. Cellular respiration requires oxygen because oxygen is the final electron acceptor in a long series of steps that are used to create energy. When oxygen isn't present, the electrons can't move forward, something called an electron transport chain to which i said no dodge hill like tell me something i don't know right (laughs) so she she tried again okay if the electrons can't move forward we can't create energy we can't sustain life breathing in god's presence it is breathing in the grace and love and acceptance that we need to move forward and sustain life it's the final electron acceptor in life I love the way she put that. And this rhythm of life, respiration to inhale and to exhale, it's true. It works for us down to the atomic level. And maybe it helps us to feel found, to see and experience and enjoy that someone who's been looking for us. This rhythm initiates the abundant life, the heart of gold, the change that we really want. But there's one more thing that we need to notice about this rhythm of grace that Jesus purposely lives out in his life. Because here's the thing, we can't keep this rhythm alone. This whole life thing is a team sport. After communion with God, but before he enters into commission, Notice what Jesus does. He gathers a community. He gathers a community. Now, doesn't it seem weird to you that Jesus chooses community? It does to me. Now, I'm an introvert and a bit of a loner, and I know that when I have a lot to do, especially if it's important and I need to get it done, like, I want to do it myself. Just get out of the way. It's faster and more efficient, including other people is slow and messy. So why does Jesus burden himself, slow himself down with community? There's an old African proverb that goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Pope Francis put it this way. We are never completely ourselves unless we belong to a people. No one is saved alone. Reminds me so much of what we talk about here together, that we want to be a community where anyone can belong before they believe, no matter what they believe. You see, this rhythm isn't just about like a private technique. Like we can just go into our prayer closet and do this. Jesus is out to change everyone, but he's also out to change everything. To the very ends of the earth, to overthrow everything that is suffocating life. In his rhythm of life, we see him starting a conspiracy that's the best way to put it, and, which literally means, and I just love this, to breathe together. Isn't that amazing? That's what a conspiracy is. Inhaling God's presence, exhaling God's purpose, to some extent, has to be done together. And there's so many reasons to this, but I think the one that makes the most sense to me is that it's written into the very into our very souls, into the DNA of who we are at every single level. And I'll close with this, this quick story. In the Old Testament of the Bible, God's name in Hebrew is Yahweh. It's actually spelled like this, Y-H-W-H. It's often pronounced Yahweh, but there's no vowels in Hebrew. And because Jewish people won't even write the name of God, much less say it, we don't know for sure how to pronounce the name of God. But there's a Jesuit scholar, his name's Thomas Cahill, and he believes that the ancient rabbis had it right when they claimed that the closest we can come to accurately saying the name of God is breathing. That the sound that every human being makes when they breathe, yeah. Is the name of God. From the moment we are born, we are all looking for someone who's looking for us. What if that someone has written his name on us in such a way that we're actually calling out to him with every breath we take? What if the rhythm of life is the very name of God? Listen how Jesus put it Are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace.
1: I understand every life must end on As we sit alone, I know someday we must go on Yeah, I'm a lucky man to count on both hands The ones I love Some folks just have one, others they got none. much in this world that makes me bleed Stay with me You're all I see Did I say that I need you Did I say that I want you Oh and if I didn't I'm a fool you see No one knows this more than me As I come clean, I wonder every day As I look upon your face, Everything you gave and nothing you would take, oh no Nothing you would take Everything you gave Did I say that I need you? Oh, did I say that I want you? Or oh, if I didn't, I'm a fool, you see No one knows this more than me And I come clean up Nothing you take, everything you gave. Hold me till I die, we will meet you on the other side. Beautiful. Love it.
4: You know how much I love it when Alicia Keys or Pearl Jam write a worship song and they don't even know it. So cool. Look, life can be overwhelming and at times the needs and demands are so urgent it can feel like a sprained ankle. We can be in so much distress that we forget that we're not breathing and that just makes everything worse. The invitation of Jesus is to inhale God's presence and exhale God's purpose together. Communion, community, commission. This is the way of Jesus. It's the rhythm of life. It is living literally, literally in the conspiracy of God's name and grace. And may maybe this is how, in time, grace changes us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time in this place and for this opportunity to be together. Thank you so much for not only your love for us and what you've done for us, but also what you've modeled for us and how you live. God, I pray that you would help give us eyes to see the rhythms in our life that maybe are suffocating us or the lack of rhythm. Give us eyes to see. Give us a heart to to sense and feel where we find you. And to make that a deliberate, intentional part of the rhythm of our life. And to do that together. And to do that for others. This communion, community, commission, conspiracy. God, I pray that as we leave here this morning, you'd help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.
3: Thank you you for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. Have a blessed week.